0: Man, You all could be seated. Hey, I've really enjoyed hearing from a number of you. This is our last week in this five-week series on the book of Lamentations. This week I heard from someone in the church that was reading about God's destruction of Jerusalem for their sin. And this person said something to me that maybe has crossed your mind as well. Maybe something you've wondered about. The way they put it in their text, they said, I just got done reading Lamentations chapter 5, and I could not help but wonder if this could be the same fate for America. Look, before I go any further, I need to stop and say, truly only God knows what his plans are for the days to come for our nation. But it did make me, when I when I read his text, it made me think about a song by Seventh-day Slumber. Seventh-day Slumber is a Christian rock band, pretty hard Christian rock band. They visited the Prescott Square a couple years ago. And just to emphasize how hard rock they are, they, they, they played the Prescott Square right after another more quiet band. And... We watched as a couple people in the first couple rows, as soon as they hit a couple chords, got up and, and walked away. And it reminded us of, uh, you know, that scene in Back to the Future where he's playing Johnny Be Good and this little stream little on the guitar and the, the people in the 50s are looking at him like... And he said, okay, maybe you all aren't ready for that, but your kids are going to love it. It was one of those moments in Prescott. But in addition to... Really hard guitar riffs, Seventh Day Slumber, has a real heart for Jesus and the lost and for speaking truth in their songs. Sometimes challenging Christians, challenging people in general with their lyrics. They have one song called Burning an Empire, and I just want you to listen to a couple, a couple lyrics that they wrote and put in that song. Left with a ghost, we traded our souls. Now we're the ones who run the show. We wanted you out, ripping your church to the ground, anything just to have control. We are the ones who decide who lives and who dies. We let the unborn pay the price. It's all just murder for hire so you can fill your desire. And we go on with our own lives. There's evil in your eyes. Your bloodstained hands don't lie. You're rotting deep inside, rotting Deep inside. What will it take to see the mess you've made? Then the chorus, which they sing over and over again, says this. We're burning an empire. Can we arise from the ashes again? What we've lost in the fire, can we ever recover? Come back from the state we're in. I don't pretend to know the Lord's will, but as we think about those lyrics. More importantly, as we think about the book of Lamentations, I think we do well to ask, is is it time for some soul searching, some praying, some repenting of sin? Because it starts in the hearts of, of individuals. Hard to believe we're almost done with Lamentations. I mentioned we're in week five. You probably remember the structure somewhat as we went through chapter one. We we highlighted the idea of groaning, that we groan in this fallen world for many different reasons. We talked about owning the groan. That's part of every one of our lives. It's a painful place to be at times. Chapter two, we highlighted that in their case, it was God's discipline for their rejecting Him as their Lord and turning to other idols. Some of you know they even offered their own children as sacrifices. To pagan gods. It was discipline. Chapter 3, was we talked about real hope. This, this sparkling light of great is thy faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. And we heard those stories from the O'Hagans and others of God's faithfulness. Last week, Pastor Aaron talked about false hope. The, the places we turn other than God and his faithfulness that, that let us down every time. Today in chapter 5, we're going to join Jeremiah in a prayer to God for for restoration. He's going to pray, God, restore us. God, restore us. And it's a great prayer if we find ourselves at that place as well. I want to follow him, and I want to hang it on three words to help us remember it. The first word is remember. The second word is repent. The third word is restore. Remember, repent, restore. And I want to start with remember. If you have your Bibles, please open them to Lamentations chapter 1, chapter 5, verse 1. Excuse me. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. There's that word, remember. Now, let me ask you a question. Jeremiah is a prophet of God. Theologically, in his mind, does he not know that God is omniscient? When, when he says, remember, O Lord, what has befallen us, does, does he think in his mind that, that God has somehow forgotten and not know, knows what's going on? No. No, right, he's a prophet. He knows theologically God is omniscient. So what does he mean when he says, remember, O Lord, what has befallen us? Look and see our disgrace. Look at all this destruction. Well, Jeremiah, like you and I, is not only a mind, he's also an emotional being, right? And when we, when we hear these cries for remember at different points in scripture, what I believe it is, is it's God's people looking at their, their painful circumstances on the one hand, and they know God, who God is on the other hand and his promises, and they're saying, Lord, show me how this works. Show me your promises at work in the middle of this pain. Jeremiah, on the one hand, knew that God had promised hope in a future, that 70 years they would come back. He knew that. But right now he's looking at all this carnage, And he's saying, Lord, remember what has befallen us. It's important to do that sometimes in our lives when we go through trials to to lay them out before the Lord. He he loves us to bring them to him. I think about the King Hezekiah that Aaron alluded to last week. Assyria was surrounding the city and And the Assyrian king had sent a trash talk letter, if you will. He said, hey, this is is what I did to all these other cities. This is what I did to their gods. What makes you think you're going to be any different? And I love what King Hezekiah did with that letter. He took it before the Lord and just laid it out before the Lord and said, here's what this king has said. And you know the rest of the story. God went to war on their behalf and destroyed 185,000 enemy soldiers. One time at an elders meeting, I remember we did that, but we did it on our cell phones. We put our prayer requests on there. We said, hey, this is like Hezekiah's cell phone. Here's all of our prayer requests. Let's put them in the middle, and let's take them to the Lord. What what would you put on that list today in your life that's painful and say, Lord, remember what I'm going through. Remember. I see 13 things that that Jeremiah lays out. We're just going to fly through them. I gave them each a a one-word summary. I'd invite you to join me. He says, Lord, we've been stripped. Verse 2, our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We're we're vulnerable. Verse 3, we have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We're being exploited, Lord. Verse 4, we must pay for the water we drink. The, the wood we get must be bought. We are harried by our enemies. Verse 5, he says, our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We're desperate. Look at verse 6. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. They, they've been reduced to begging for bread. They're burdened by sin. Verse 7, our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. And we know enough of human nature, they had enough of their own in their generation as well. They're oppressed. Slaves rule over us. Verse 8, there is none to deliver us from their hand. We're imperiled, Lord. Verse 9, we get our bread... At the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. We literally put our lives on the line just to go out and get bread for our our families. Some of them were starving. Many were. Verse 10, our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Some were violated in awful ways. Verse 11, women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Many were demeaned by the enemy. It says princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Lord, we're enslaved. Verse 13, young men are compelled to grind at the mill. And boys stagger under loads of wood. And finally, I see him saying, Lord, we're disheartened in light of all this. Verse 14, the the old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. I would ask you before we move on from remember, what what would you lay out before the Lord this morning when you think about what's weighing on you? What would you say, Lord, remember? Remember this. Remember this. I want to move on to repent in verse 16. He says, the crown has fallen from our head. And here's the key, he says, woe to us, for we have sinned. For this our heart has become sick. As God's prophet, he is leading the way, saying this was not an accident that this happened. This is a direct result of our sin. And how many of you know that's the beginning of repentance, when we own the reality of our sin. And its consequences. Woe to us for we have sinned. For this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion which lies desolate. Jackals prowl over it. And I think there's two ways we can approach this repentance thing. One individually. Lord search my heart. Know me. Show me any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting and help me let go of any sin I'm cherishing. But I also think of these godly prophets like Jeremiah and Daniel. There were times where they went before the Lord on behalf of their nation. And repented for the sin of their nation. Because they realized they were part of that nation. They repented. Is there anything, Lord, you're calling me? to repent of this morning. Remember, repent, and finally, restore. He's going to pray for God to restore their nation. And as we look at his prayer for restoration, I want to bring out three things as he prays for God to restore that that we do well to to carry over. First, he, he recognized God's real reign. He says right here, verse 19, You, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. He recognizes even in this horrible darkness that God is still on his throne. Now that those are words of faith when we find ourselves in the middle of darkness. When we find ourselves in the middle of a trial that God, I, I know you still Reign. You reign forever. I also know that that comes with questions, right? Some call it theodicy. The, the problem of evil and suffering in our world if there's a sovereign God, right? I admit there, there are difficult questions here for us humans to wrestle with. But believe me, you, you do not want it the other way. You don't want it the other way because as many questions as we wrestle with with God being in control during our suffering, if somehow he is not in control in the middle of what you face today, in the middle of what I face today, that's just flat out horrifying. I don't want that, nor does the Bible teach that. Even in the darkness, God is working for his glory and the good of his children. Jeremiah believed that. He recognized God's real reign. Even in the disappointment, in the darkness. Do we? Do we? Second, he practiced real worship. It doesn't get more real than this. Verse 20, he says, Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Now again, we're dealing with a man who's got a... A mind and emotions, right? In his mind, he knows that God hasn't forgotten. He's omniscient. And in his mind, he knows God's covenants, that God is faithful. But this is what he's feeling. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? And he takes it right to God. That's real worship. He's not pretending here, right? Right? I love what Walter Brueggemann said about lament. This whole book is lament. Take, taking our hurts and our cries and our pains to the Lord, right, and worship. Listen to what Walter Brueggemann said. Paraphrase, lamenting is an act of faith. It is a resolve to dance with God to the end of the dance and not let go of him. Do you see that in what Jeremiah is doing here? He's got all this hurt, all these pains, all these questions like maybe you do this morning, but he will not let go of God. Even with those questions, he takes them to God and holds on. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Michael Card, how many of you know the Christian artist? The song El Shaddai from the 80s was popular special music number in churches back in the day. It's a great song. He's also a powerful author. He he wrote a book called A Sacred Sorrow, all about lament as part of worship in our lives. And he talks about not only Jeremiah, but he goes into the life of David, he goes into the life of Job, and he goes into the life of our Savior himself, Jesus Christ. So, so if you're saying, man, I want to... Access that part of worship in my life. I want to grow in that. I'd I'd recommend that as one resource. You know the difference between a biblical lamenter and an atheist? The biblical lamenter knows that whatever questions, whatever complaints, whatever hurt, whatever he or she is going through, he or she has a sovereign God where they can take that. And pour it out. He's practicing real worship. Finally, he, he prayed for the, the real restoration that matters above any other type of restoration. What's he say? He says, Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. Restore us to yourself, O Lord. That's the ultimate. That's the real restoration. Restoration to God. There's all kinds of restoration we may think of in this world. Buildings, economies, cities, status. I could go on. All of those pale in comparison to the real restoration that is restoration to our eternal God. He prays for the real restoration. Listen to how he closes the the whole book in verse 22. This thing that's heavy on his heart. Unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us, Those are uh, amazing words written from the man who we know in Jeremiah 29. He's the one that passed on. God has a a hope and a future for us. He's going to bring us back. And yet he's also very human. He's looking around at the destruction of Jerusalem and, and he just pours out his heart. Unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us, have we gone too far? Let me ask you a question, knowing what you know. Had they hit it, had God given up on his covenant with the nation of Israel? To answer that question, I want to look two ways in the Bible. I want to look back to Jonah, just briefly, and I want to look forward to Jesus. Say, why Jonah? We were talking about Jonah at our house this week. What a unique, special book in the Bible. Short, powerful, action-packed. And I think about, what do we often focus on in that book? Like sometimes it's, it's the fish, right? Well, some will say a whale sw- swallowed Jonah, and then those who know their Hebrews say it's not a whale, it's a fish. And, and we stop. That's, that's like the focus of the book. And that really happened. I believe that. Jesus referred to it as a historical event when he told his generation, you're not going to get any other sign other than the sign of Jonah. Because just as he was three days in the heart of a fish, so the Son of Man will be three days in the heart of the earth and rise again. It really happened. But is, is the fish the main point of the book? No, some have gone on rightly to point out, no, it's, it's God's love for the lost, even the wicked Ninevites of Assyria. some heinous people, and Jonah had to learn God loved even them. Yeah, now we're, now we're getting to it. But I thought about Jonah's life this week, and we were talking about it at our, at our house. Jonah's life is such a great picture in microcosm, Of the nation of Israel. Just think about it for, for a minute. Right? Jonah. He was called to be a light. To the Assyrians in Nineveh. Right? The whole nation of Israel when God called them. Was called to be a light to the world. He said I want you to be kingdom of priests. I want the world to know who I am. Because of how you walk with me. Okay? Keep going. Jonah totally disobeyed God when exactly the opposite way God told him to. To Tarshish, right? Israel disobeyed God and became like the other nations. Right? Keep going. Jonah, he was thrown into the sea by God's sovereignty at the hand of Gentile sailors. Okay, now, now think of the nation of Judah. They were thrown into captivity at the hands of Gentile Babylons, Babylonians, right? Because of their disobedience. Jonah was kept alive by the Lord three days in the belly of a fish. Israel, God kept a remnant of them alive. For 70 years. In captivity. In Babylon. Jonah was given another chance. As he was vomited up. On dry land. Right. Israel was given another chance. As God brought them back. By the decree of Cyrus. To their promised land. You think of the great privilege. Jonah had after all. That he had been through. To speak a message of repentance. And for God to use him to save a generation of Ninevites from certain judgment and destruction, including their animals. Think about Israel. He who wrestles with God after all they had been through. What a wonderful privilege they had because it was out of the town of Bethlehem that a young Jewish boy would be born and placed in a manger, the, the son of God. Oh, God was not done with his people. That causes us to look ahead to Jesus, this one that will be placed in that manger. Our verse for the month, Isaiah 9, 6, was prophesied before. To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. To us, a child is born. How precious that must have been to them. Now, as we close, I I love how God's word all fits together. It is the word of God, written over centuries by many human authors. One author who is God. I go back to Lamentations 1.4. Lamentations four, and I want you to listen closely. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan. Her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. I'll see if you guys do better than the first service. In that verse, who is it that groans? priests. Thank you. You were here at first service too, so but we'll take it. Oh, were you out in the lobby? Okay. then I'm sorry. Thank you. Priests. It's the priests who groan in that verse. And who does it say has been afflicted? The virgins. Thank you. The virgins have been afflicted. Why do I bring that up? I think of the contrast between that verse and where we're going to spend our time next week on Christmas Sunday. As I think of Luke chapter 1, I see two songs of praise there. One of them came from a priest named Zechariah. Luke 1.8 tells us he was serving as priest before God. In verse 11, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And and Zechariah burst into song. This priest, verse 67, says he was filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This priest was not groaning. He was rejoicing because God sent him a son who would prepare the way for his Messiah. You say, what about the, the virgin? Luke 1.34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And in verse 46, this young virgin also burst into songs. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I'd encourage you this week to go to Luke 1 and read those songs in their entirety because that's where we're going to camp next week as we celebrate what his birth meant to Mary and Zechariah and the people of Israel, what it means to you and I. But for now, I'll close by just saying this priest was not groaning. This virgin was not afflicted. They were both filled with gladness from above because of the faithfulness of their God, whose mercies are new not only on Christmas morning, but on every morning to his children. Amen. Father, I thank you so much for this precious book of lamentations. Every one of us in this room knows what it is to groan. Lord, I thank you where where Jeremiah brings us around today, this wonderful prayer for for restoration. And I I think of where he went with that. And and I know there are some in here who have some things they want to lay out before you today and say, remember this, Lord. Remember, I'm going through this. I'm facing this. This weight is upon me. I pray you give them a moment to, to lay that before you. I know you here. Lord, I think of repentance and and I know as long as we walk this fallen world, there are times we need to. We need to repent of the things we've clung on to this week that don't bring you glory. We need to repent on behalf of the people we love, the, the nation we love. We need to be an active part of telling them the hope of this little one born in a manger who came to bring light in the darkness for that is why we were, are here. Lord, and we pray, Lord, in places of brokenness today in our walk with you for restoration. Lord, help us to hold on to that absolute faith that you, you are reigning even, even in the darkness. Uh, Lord, help us to know you invite us to be real in our worship. You know what's on our hearts anyways. Those hard questions, those sticking points. Rather than run from you, help us to, to bring those to you today. And Father, I pray that you'd help us not to settle for worldly restoration. This thing or that thing or that thing. If I just had that, if I just had that. Lord, help us to go for the real restoration, the only restoration that matters, restoration to you through your precious son, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. As we study Luke 1 this week, may the joy of Mary and Zechariah begin to, to fill our hearts once more. What it means happened in Bethlehem a precious evening long ago. Lord, I pray as we wrap up today and close with our offering and our final song that those would be acts of worship, reverence, gratitude for all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen.